Good morning. It's so good to see you today. Thank you for being here. It's a beautiful day, and we appreciate so much you being here for worship and Bible study. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. And in just a minute or two, we're going to look at our lesson text in Matthew chapter 10. Before we do that, I do want to say Happy Father's Day. We have a lot of fathers here, and so we want you to know how much we appreciate you. Thank you for your example, your love and patience, and all the good things that you do. And what a great contribution you have made to the lives of so many of us, and so we are grateful for that. Thanks to Brother Billy for filling in in my absence last week. It's good to be home, and I appreciate him preaching last week and teaching as well. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, as was noted a moment ago, I want to invite you to look at that text with me. In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to be talking today about the theme, How Much Do You Love Me? You remember in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was said to have sent out the apostles or His disciples. They were not to go to the Gentiles, nor were they to go in the way of the, of the Samaritans, but rather they were instructed to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The message that they were to share with those along the way was one of repentance, and the reason being the kingdom of heaven, as the Lord said, is at hand. And we know that the kingdom was established sometime later on Pentecost Day, bought with the blood of Christ. But in chapter 10, Jesus tells the apostles they were endowed with power. And he tells them some of the problems and persecutions that they would face as his disciples. And so in the latter part of chapter 10, Jesus said that those who receive you receive me, and those who receive me receive him who sent me. They were special ambassadors. They had a very specific task to accomplish on planet earth. And ultimately, they were the ones that would lead a small group of people to become a very great band of disciples following their preaching on Pentecost Day. But in the, latter, in the latter part of chapter 10, what Jesus does is set before them what we might call some ingredients. In other words, kind of a benchmark to determine whether or not some would be willing to follow Him. And there are things that will, from time to time, impede our service. It might be the case that there are some things that would hinder us in following the Lord. And so with that in mind, I want to just begin our study today by asking the question, how much do you love the Lord? Because really, that's the basis of what we're talking about. Now, we know that Jesus Himself said that we're to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And John would write that we love Him because He first loved us. And so we know something about the love of God. But to reciprocate that love. Well, what about being a disciple of Jesus? First and foremost, Jesus describes for us, as well as He did to the apostles in the long ago, first, the cost of being a disciple. How much is it going to cost me to become a follower of the Lord. If you were to go into a dealership this week, maybe you have decided to buy an automobile. And through your careful study and search, you've come to understand that there is a 
price associated with that vehicle. The bottom line is simply this. How much is it going to cost me with all of the added features? By the same token, when it comes to following the Lord, don't we want to know what the cost is? How much is it going to cost me to serve Jesus? Well, number one, the Lord said that there is potentially a threat to our peace. You remember in the text, Jesus said, Think not that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, I thought Jesus was the Prince of Peace. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And you remember Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 said, speaking of Jesus, For He Himself is our peace. Jesus being the Prince of Peace, He has the ability to provide us with peace when we obey the gospel of Christ, according to Romans chapter 5. Paul would say that we enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. So what does Jesus mean when He says that He did not come to bring peace, but rather a sword? Well, note the continuation. Jesus said, I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And then listen to this. A man's foes or a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Do you know anybody who is a Christian today that because they made the decision to follow the Lord, family members have turned upon them? I was thinking this past week as I prepared this lesson of a lady that lives in another town. When she became a Christian, her family basically ostracized her, wanted nothing to do with her. Potentially, can that happen to us? Yes. What about somebody who, let's just say they're married, and they marry someone who is not a Christian? Would it be the possibility that a husband or wife who is not a believer, that they could make life very difficult on their believing mate? Well, again, the answer would be yes. Many of us have heard of people in days gone by that were married to an unbeliever. And that unbeliever did everything within his power or her power to keep the Christian man or woman, from attending services or being involved in the work of the church. And so there is potentially a threat to the harmony that exists within our family. That's what Jesus is saying. Biologically, our biological ties can sometimes hinder whether or not we come to Christ. We become one of His disciples. But then there's a second thought. First, there is the threat potentially to our peace But what about a test of our affection? I asked a moment ago, how much do you love the Lord? Because I think basically what Jesus is saying is, how much do you love me? Well, listen to what he said. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, wait a minute. I thought family love was the strongest type of love known to man. It is in many respects. 
There's just a natural bond that exists between a mother, a father, and their children. We all understand that. But do you not think it possible that because of our love and allegiance for our parents or our family members, that that might become a stumbling block, a roadblock to becoming a disciple of Christ? I remember years ago, I think I've shared this with you, but I just want to maybe reshare it. Years ago, there was a lady that I knew, very nice lady, good lady. And she was probably as faithful to the services as anybody I know on Sunday evening. She had never obeyed the gospel. She studied with a friend of mine for some period of time. At the conclusion of their series of studies, when it came time to make a decision whether or not she would obey the gospel, her response to this brother was simply this. I made my parents, I think specifically she said, I made my mother a deathbed promise that I would never go into the church of Christ. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about here. How much do you really love me? Do you love me enough to do what's right in spite of what your, what your family members think? How your family members act? Now, I'm not saying in any way that we are to disrespect, dishonor our parents. I'm not saying that we shouldn't love them. But what Jesus is saying is, the love that you're to have for me is to take precedence over every other person in life. As we would say, over anything. You love me more than you love anything. What was it Jesus said? Luke chapter 14, if any man come to me, hate not, love less, father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He said he can't be my disciple. So to understand first and foremost that there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. And you have to decide whether or not you're willing to obey the Lord. You've got to decide whether or not you're willing to pay the cost to become one of His servants. And let me just very quickly qualify what we're talking about. There are some people that are reluctant to obey the gospel because in their mind they think if I obey the gospel then by way of implication I am condemning my family members. Many of us have family members who are not members of the church. Let me just use let me just use for I guess Example's sake, this thought. How much does a mother love her child? I don't have to tell you how much a mother loves her child. You know that. Many of us have been on the receiving end of a mother's love, a father's love. So you think about your parents the sacrifices that they have made in days gone by for you. And ultimately, what was it they wanted for you more than anything else? They wanted the best of the best, didn't they? They had your well-being, they have your well-being, 
at the forefront of their mind. So let's just say hypothetically, your folks have been dead and gone for many years, and let's just say they didn't obey the gospel. And you're grappling with that thought. You know, in Luke 16, the veil is lifted into what we call the Hadean realm. And the Bible tells us that there were two individuals that were in the realm of Hades, a rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was being tormented. Lazarus was comforted. If you read the narration of what Jesus is talking about, the rich man was concerned about his brothers, wasn't he? Did not want them to go to that place of torment. I have to believe that our parents, if by any chance they were to be lost, let's just say they're in the Hadean realm and they are in a lost condition, they would want what's best for you. And what would be best for you to obey the gospel of Christ? So to understand that up front. Now there's a second thought here. First, the cost. Secondly, the cross. Jesus said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Three thoughts here. Number one, we have to lay down something. This has to do with self-denial. You remember Matthew chapter 16, verse 24? Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. It's hard, isn't it? It's one thing to talk about other people impeding our relationship to the Lord. It's one thing to talk about parents or siblings coming between us and the Lord. Sometimes it's not necessarily our family members and those around us, but rather we are the obstacle, aren't we? We're not willing to deny self. We're not willing to give up our lifestyle, what we want in life, to serve the Lord. And so what, what Jesus is saying in this context is we've got to be willing to lay aside our personal wishes and preferences to serve Him. We live in a selfish age, don't we? I mean, don't we live in a day and time when many people, it's all about them? I mean, they're solely concerned with self. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to be my disciple, you want to be a follower of mine, you've got to first and foremost willingly lay aside yourself and serve me. So first, Jesus said, we've got to lay something aside. But then secondly, lift up something. Jesus talked about denying ourselves and taking up the cross. Well, what does that mean? Now we're talking about a death has to take place, doesn't it? You've got to be willing, I have to be willing to die to self. Here's what Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul makes the case for those who have obeyed the gospel and their relationship to the Lord. 
He would say in verse 3 that we're baptized into the death of Christ. So we die to the love and the practice of sin. He goes on to say that we have risen to walk in newness of life. If we've been planted together with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this first, that the old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That's the idea right there. Are you willing to take up the cross, cross signifying death, and all that goes along with that? In Mark chapter 10, do you remember Jesus was met by James and John, and they wanted to have positions in the coming kingdom, didn't they? They wanted one to sit on one hand and the other on the other when he came in his kingdom. And Jesus said, look, you don't know what you're asking. Yes, it's true, they would later drink the baptism that he was baptized with. That had to do with suffering. You can begin in the book of Acts and you can read the lives of those who served him in the first century, particularly the apostles. They faced a lot of difficult days, didn't they? And so, we've got to be willing to lay something aside, to lift something up. That's the cross. And then we've got to be able, we've got to be willing to live something out. Jesus said, we are to take up the cross, now note this, and follow Him. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember those men who were fishermen? Peter and Andrew, James and John. Jesus called them to be His disciples, didn't He? And the Bible says, immediately they left their father and their nets, now note this, and followed Him. Are you willing to follow the Lord, come what may? Are you willing to live for Him day in and day out? Listen, it's a lifelong commitment. I think sometimes we have the idea that once we're baptized into Christ, then we've sealed the deal and that's all there is to it. Listen, that's just the beginning. When you become a child of God, you are just starting the Christian life. Now, granted, it's a new start. It entails new blessings, but also new behavior. Jesus said it like this, Seek first, that's before anything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What about Paul? Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, didn't he? Remember in Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, set your mind, set your affections on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. In verse 4 he said, for Christ, listen to him, who is our life. That's what it means to be a child of God, a disciple of Jesus. It's day in, day out, 24-7. Those of us who like the Grizzlies, who follow the Grizzlies, they were at one time known as a team of grit and grind. You want to live the Christian life? It's about gritting and grinding your way to the finish line. It's not just a sprint, but rather it's a marathon. There are going to be highs and lows, joys, frustrations, good days, bad days. There are going to be battles along the way, but we've got to stay true to God. We've got to live for Him every single day. It's called consecration, isn't it? It's called dedication. Devotion to God. How devoted are you to God? That's what Jesus is saying. 
If you're not willing to live a devoted life, the Lord said, you're not worthy of me. You can't be my disciple. When you became a Christian, now I know, listen, we don't necessarily understand everything about the Bible when we become a child of God. There are certain basic truths we need to understand. But it's a growing process, isn't it? And it is a life that is to be lived in the trenches every single day. Far too many people become members of the body of Christ, but they fail to understand the commitment that's involved. It's a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. God wants everything from you, doesn't He? I mean, didn't Paul say, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? He said, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And because you've been bought with a price, Paul said, glorify God in your body and spirit, listen to him, which are God's. That's devotion, isn't it? That's what God's taught. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So there is a cost to being a disciple. There is a cross when it comes to discipleship. And then thirdly, there are consequences. Well, what about the consequences? Let's just say that I'm willing to sign on and serve the Lord. Jesus is, in this context, weeding out would-be disciples who don't understand the commitment level that comes with serving Him. Calling them out. Separating the wheat from the chaff. So what about my commitment level? What about the consequences of serving the Lord? Number one, there is a sacrifice involved, isn't there? Now Jesus, in this context, said that those who love their life will lose it, and those who lose their life will find it. Somewhat paradoxical. What's he saying there? Well, in the first century, Jesus, in this context, matter of fact, back up and look at what Jesus said. Just note a couple of statements in chapter 10. In verse 17, Jesus said, Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. He said, You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Look at verse 21. Brother will deliver up brother to death. Father, a child, children will rise up against parents, cause them to be put to death. Verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. The Lord here is simply being transparent and saying, okay, you want to become one of my disciples, you need to understand something. Yes, it comes with a cost. Yes, there is a cross involved. But there are some consequences to serving me one of which is potentially suffering at the hands of other people. Difficulties? Yes. Don't you think it's interesting in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus began laying aside or setting before would-be disciples the potential for trouble and trial? I mean, didn't Jesus say, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Jesus is saying, you want to be my servant. You want to follow me. You want to be a disciple of mine. You need to understand, when you sign on that bottom line, you are saying, you are opening yourself up to the possibility of difficulties. And not just difficulties, but also death. Do you know anyone in the first century, have you read about anyone in the first century that literally died for serving Jesus? Remember Acts chapter 12? James, the brother of John, what happened to him? Put to death by the sword. Well, who did that? Herod did. You mean to tell me that serving the Lord could cost me my life? Difficulties? Yes. What about death? Yes. I want you to see a very familiar verse. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, in Gehenna, the hell of fire. So now connect that to verse 38. Verse 39. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. What about standing before the Romans in the first century? And what if they said, all right, here's the deal. You recant your faith in Christ, you can live. But if you don't recant your faith, here's, here's what's coming. It's called the sword. You're going to die. Didn't Paul die at the hands of Nero Caesar? And why? Listen, Nero Caesar did everything within his power to hurt the cause of Christ. And yet, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, I'm already being offered, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And Paul said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I can just see Paul standing before his Roman executioner and standing there and them saying, okay, one more chance, one more opportunity to renounce Christianity and you'll live. No, Paul said to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ far better. No, Paul said Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. Now, there's a second thought. First, our sacrifice. Secondly, our service. In Matthew chapter 10, what Jesus is really talking about in the latter part of chapter 10 has to do with serving in His name. So listen to what He said. In verse 41, He said, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. Now note, and whoever gives one of the, these little ones only a cup of water, cold water, in the name of a disciple, in Mark's account, it is in the name of Christ. So what are you saying, Lord? Jesus is saying, there are some responsibilities that go along with becoming one of my disciples. And that is, you reach out to others and you minister to them, don't you? Physical needs, yes. Spiritual needs, absolutely. 
Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talked about that great and final day when He would stand, or rather when all nations would be brought before Him. You remember He said to those on the right hand, I was thirsty, and what did you do? You gave me something to drink. He said, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. Sick and in prison, and you visited me. And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it to one of these least of my disciples, you did it unto me. That's service. Paul said it like this, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That's at the core of Christianity. And what Jesus is saying is, when you sign on to become one of my disciples, you're saying that you're willing to serve me. And that you serve me by serving other people, don't you? That's the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God, becoming a servant. So there are responsibilities, but secondly, there is a reward attached. Note, if you would, the latter part of verse 42. Jesus said that when you give this cup of cold water to a disciple, here's what He says, Surely I say to you, now mark it, He shall by no means lose His reward. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25? After enumerating all the things that those who had followed Him had done in His name, didn't He say that they will hear the words, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you? In verse 46, He said that those who do so will enjoy, listen to Him, everlasting life. That's the goal. Listen, if we live in this world and we miss heaven, we have missed everything, haven't we? So Jesus is simply saying, there are benefits to following me. There are blessings associated with following me. So here's my question to you tonight, today. How much do you love the Lord? If Jesus had the opportunity, if you had the opportunity to sit down across the table from Jesus, and let's just say you've been thinking about becoming one of His disciples. And Jesus, after talking for a period of time, finally looked at you in the eyes and said, How much do you love me? What would you say? Would you love him enough to do what he says? Didn't John say, This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments? His commandments are not grievous or burdensome. And didn't Jesus say, If you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. I know something about family love, just as you do. I know something about the cost of serving the Lord. Some folks don't. And what Jesus is saying here is, in a very transparent way, this is what it's all about. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding when it comes to knowing what you're getting yourself into. Are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? Well, what does that mean? You've got to believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be. That's the Son of God. That's fundamental. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Paul would say we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We have to be willing to repent of sin. Remember we talked about dying to self? Paul on Mars Hill in Athens, 
He said the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere, that's inclusive of everybody, to repent. Pentecost Day, the prerequisite, repent, and then he said, and be baptized. Why? So that your sins might be forgiven. Acts 2 verse 38. Here's what God will do. He will take you out of the world and put you into His divine body, the church. And only the saved are in the church, Ephesians 5, verse 23. The exhortation, once you get into Christ, here it is, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Note that word always in the work of the Lord. Why? Inasmuch as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. Is it worth it? Yes. Whatever difficulties and trials imposed upon you as a disciple of Christ, I can tell you this, it will be worth it. So what about you? Are you a Christian? And maybe your life's not what it ought to be, and you know right now, you need to make things right with God. Could we pray with you and for you? Our elders would be happy to lead us this morning in prayer. We will pray with you, and they will pray for you. Can we help you in any way get your life where it needs to be? If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.